We're going to continue with where we've been from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Just a very short little uh, passage here. Um, But after digging into it a little bit this week, I think you could spend your life in this little section. um, So we're going to read, we'll start by that, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evildoer, but whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your coat also. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and do not reject the one who wants to borrow from you. So starting off, I want to take sort of a 30,000-foot level at this scripture. And I want to say, first of all, when we hear an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, sometimes we might be thinking, ooh, that's harsh, that's rough. Uh, our current postmodern sensibilities might say, wow. So, so you're going to gouge people's eyes, cut off their hands, that sort of thing seems rough, right? But, but I would warn you that we shouldn't take our modern sensibilities and look back in history. I mean, and we have that with even just recent modern history, right? We always think about tarring and feathering. You know, that was something that you could actually do not all that many years ago, and you wouldn't go to jail for it. It was a way to right some wrongs. Um, you might think of the ambush of Bonnie and Clyde. The police ambushed Bonnie and Clyde and just turned the car into, into grated cheese. I mean, what we think of today with our current way of thinking doesn't really fit in the past. I mean, I like to think of some of the people we read, especially in the old, old, old parts of the Bible, these people were probably much more like Aboriginal than modern man, you know? I mean, we, we Paul and I like to tour the desert areas. There's, you know, chippings and writings, uh, petroglyphs and rocks and things this is this is our past, you know, so you can't say, oh, well, we would never do that. You know, we want to just have all this soft, meek, uh, kind reform and stuff like that. This didn't exist 4,000 years ago. Nowhere, no how. Um, so that's number one, is don't take your current way of thinking and look back and, and try to make them jive. Um, second was with all six of these, what I call parenthetical statements or vignettes from Jesus are describing our righteousness as opposed to uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, right? And Jesus said of them in Matthew 23, 27 through 8, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. All six of these things, we've been through, what, four so far? We've got this one and then one more. All six of those are trying to get across the message that we as God's people, remember all the the, uh, Beatitudes? We as those kind of people who God has transformed, God has converted us into new creatures, we're not supposed to be like whitewashed sepulchers or tombs. Uh, We're not outwardly conforming to 
how to treat people, how to love people, right? We are from the inside out supposed to be these kind of people. And so we're going to see that in today's uh, vignette, what I call a vignette. Um, And third and finally, uh, you can't read this section of Scripture without understanding or thinking about how, how it's impacted some people's thinking deeply, deeply, deeply. Um, uh, Leo Tolstoy was, wrote extensively on this. It changed his life, and he became a man of peace. Now, he, like uh, Gandhi and uh, the Mennonites and the Amish and the Quakers, have taken this scripture from Jesus, and they've gone, I think, too far. They've said we don't need police, we don't need courts, we don't need government. Let's just all get along. Well, that's not going to happen. Um, and we'll even see some scripture where I think they just had to, I don't know, forget about some things um, in order to say that. But, but, it, but they did have deep, deep uh, effects on people's, And they should have deep effects on our lives as well. Um, So, and just one of the things Tolstoy said, uh, just to see how far he went. Christ says, do not resist evil. The purpose of the courts is to resist evil. Christ prescribes doing good in return for evil. The courts retaliate evil with evil. Um, Christ says, make no distinction between the good and the bad. All the courts do is to make this distinction. Christ says, forgive all men. Forgive not once, not seven times, but without end. I just read those because... While, he, while he's wrong about the extent of, of how far out we push that in our lives, that ought to be said of us, right? That we are that kind of person uh, in our personal relationships. Um, and I would file that, made a little note over here this morning, I'll file that under there are all kinds of ways to be weird, right? We can take these things and go to extremes, uh, but in Romans 13, 1 through 7, you remember Paul said, let every one of us be subject to the governing authorities, right? And he, and he says that those government authorities are there to protect us, right? To punish evil. So while we personally are going to look at these scriptures, let's not uh, extend that to our government. Um, so, so these verses, uh, I'm going to read them again. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I suggest that retaliation, revenge, and even the pacifism that Tolstoy and these guys suggest is way, way too shallow for what these scriptures are trying to say to us. My suggestion is that it goes much deeper and is much more uh, intimate than simple nonviolent reactions to violence. This passage seems to me to be more about our honor, our worth, and even our satisfaction than it is to the fact that all of, and, and and it is, like our righteousness is foreign to us, these things also, our worth, our satisfaction, our honor, they are also foreign. Just like you get your righteousness from Christ, we're called to get all that other from Christ. And that's what these scriptures are saying to us. So let's start um, in, in the, the first phrase, uh, verse 39. 
you've heard that it was said, well, no, sorry, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So we're going to back up just a little bit and see what that is. Is this about vengeance? Is this about you hit me, I hit you back? You break my arm, I break your arm? No, that's not what this is about. This is government regulations. These are laws for the people to live by in that theocracy that they lived within, right? So Exodus 21, and we're going to look at Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy just a little bit this morning, a few verses. Uh, Exodus 21, 23 is the first place we see this. It says, but if there is serious injury, then you will give a life for an eye, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And then in Leviticus 19, you must not deal unjustly in judgment. And again, this, this, is, this is commands or instructions to those who would be making judgments. Not the person who was injured, but those government entities who were to make judgment, right? You must not deal unjustly in judgment. You must neither show partiality to the poor nor honor the rich. You must judge your fellow citizen fairly. You must not go about as slanderer among your people. You must not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is at stake. I am the Lord. You must not hate your brother in your heart. You must surely reprove your fellow citizens so that you do not incur sin on account of him. You must not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you must love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You can use that next week if you want to, Matthew. <laughs> um, this is... This is how these commands are couched, okay? This is not about revenge. This is about setting an upper limit to what sort of punishment an infraction or a sin could have. If I break your arm, you can't take my life. You can't take the life of my family as retribution. You can't get vengeance and revenge. It's the upper limit of what you may do. Leviticus 24 uh, and that's why I read the 19 is to, to show you that, that all of this, and it's worth Google, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, Old Testament, right? And you can read how compassionate these commands really are. These, these are not, this isn't old, horrible God of the Old Testament and his happier, better Jesus. This is the same God throughout, right? And these commands are given with love. If a man inflicts an injury on his fellow, uh, Leviticus 24, 19, if a man inflicts an injury on his fellow citizen, just as he has done it, must be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he inflicts an injury on another person, that same injury must be afflicted on him. Deuteronomy 19.15 A single witness may not testify against another person for any trespass or sin that he commits. The matter may be legally established only on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a false witness testifies against another person and accuses him of, of a crime, then both parties to the controversy must stand before the Lord, that is, before the priest and judges who will be in office in those days. The judges will thoroughly investigate the matter, and if the witness should prove to be false and to have given false testimony against the accused, you must do to him what he had intended to do to the accused. In this way you will purge the evil from among you, the rest of the people will hear and become afraid to keep doing such evil among you. You must not show pity. The principle will be a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, and a foot for a foot. What we see here in this 
is an Old Testament, not an Old Testament description of revenge, but a principle for their laws regarding personal injury. It is to be both a deterrent, but also an upper limit to uh, punishment for injury. And if we're honest and acknowledge, vengeance is deeply ingrained in all of us, right? Um, I'm going to get on the highway today, and those of you who know me, that's my Achilles heel, right? That's where I think I shine in my worst horrible reflection of who I can be. Um, and, I'm, and, I've, and I thought about this. My dad and I were traveling to New Mexico, or, or on our way back, actually, and there's a guy just flying down the highway. And this is in the days of CBs, and so we're on the CBs. And the utter joy that was spread on the CB radio when that guy was pulled over by the highway patrolman, it wasn't about safety. Oh, we're afraid he's going to hurt somebody. It was that personal vent. He passed us. How dare he pass us? This is our highway, and he passed us. He has no, no claim to this highway. That's, I mean, and that's a little funny, right? But it's true, and, it, and it's a reflection that happens to me all the time. Pray that I don't do that today. But, um, and that runs deep. Can you imagine the, 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 uh, the more serious infractions? This, this was God saying, there's a limit. You, you, can't, you can't go past this limit um, of how you can take vengeance, or not vengeance, but retribution. Um, in a recent broadcast on gun violence, Bill Maher mentioned the fact that, think about this, we don't see advertisements and we don't see cigarette smoking on television or the movies anymore. Why not? Because we're afraid what kids are going to say, hey, that's cool, I'm going to smoke, right? And yet vengeance and violence in the movies. His deal was about gun violence. Um, and so he listed a bunch of B-movies, not only centered on vengeance, but with vengeance in the name. There were 23 of them. And just a quick little search gave me another 10 or 12 that were like A, class, you know, classy A-movies with, with uh, good actors, well-known actors and all that. Um, he didn't even mention the more palatable Celebrated works such as John Wick uh, or The Count of Monte Cristo. Anybody here a fan of The Count of Monte Cristo? It's all about revenge. The Godfather, okay, that's a bloodbath, but it is all about revenge. The, the whole, it's just revenge, revenge, revenge. Um, and, and even in our Bible, which one of the things you've got to love about it is there aren't any punches pulled, right? In Genesis 34, we read the story of Simeon and Levi getting vengeance for what was done to their sister Dinah. Um, and what did they do? They slaughtered the whole city for what one man did to one person. Slaughtered the whole city. A story of vengeance. Um, this is the sort of thing that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is meant to curtail. Um, I'm going to skip a little of this. Um, one of the things, okay, so Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, right? You've heard that it was said, and, and we, Matthew's talked about a little bit that most often Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. So when we see this, it was, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, 
what is that about? It's, it's the oral tradition. It's the oral Torah. The Mishnah was the written down version of that that came a couple hundred years later. Um, and we can see some of the things were, that were written um, down in the Mishnah that were probably taught during Jesus' time. You know, it's the best we can do. We can approximate this. We're guessing. And you can read all kinds of things about maybe what, what the uh, scribes and Pharisees were saying at the time. But the Mishnah gives us some actual things. And we'll, we'll read one of those in the next little section. Um, so then in verse 39, so Jesus, Jesus reminds us of the Old Testament eye for an eye law, right? That upper limit of what you could do. Um, and then he says in verse 39, But I say to you, do not resist the evildoer, but whoever strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. And think about that. A slap on the face has probably not ever changed since the first face got slapped. In every culture, in every time, a slap in the face is not meant to, to do serious injury, right? I mean, it could hurt. You could get a bruise. Um, there, are, there are actually slapping competitions, right? I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's, it's a horrible thing, idea. But anyway, they slap harder than any other slaps. But the slap in the face is an affront to your honor, to your dignity. It's not meant to hurt you. It's not like, you know, cutting shooting, stabbing, breaking a leg. It's not like that. It is an affront to your dignity, to your honor, right? So Jesus says, don't resist the evildoer, the one who's going to put you down, the one that's going to slap you in the face. Don't resist that. Uh, we even use the phrase, a slap in the face, as a phrase to say your honor has been questioned, right? Um, I mean, you know, that thing she did over there, that was a real slap in the face, right? Um, the way my boss called me out in front of my coworkers, that was what? A real slap in the face. The way that couple talks about each other in public, that's a real slap in the face. There are all these things that a slap in the face just tells us right off the bat that this is an insult. Um, and speaking of the Mishnah that I mentioned earlier, it's interesting. There are some rules that were written down about this. Um, and uh, it's, uh, I didn't put all the quote, but it says if he slapped him, he must pay 200 denarii. If it's with the back of his hand, because that's even worse, right? Uh, he must pay him 400. If he tore at his ear, plucked out his hair, spat at him, and spit touched him, or he pulled his cloak off of him, or loosed a woman's hair in the street, he must pay 400 denarii. There are these rules and regulations, again, much like, uh, the, they did with the the Sabbath, right? God told them in the Old Testament, the Sabbath is your day of rest. Well, what the scribes and Pharisees have to do? Well, yeah, but what does that mean? Because commentators always have to commentate, right? And and writers always have to write, and teachers have to teach. So you can't just repeat it. You gotta you gotta redefine it, subdefine it, put couches around it. You know, figure out what it means, and it means well, you can't carry anything. And you can't walk more than this many feet, right? Um, so that's what they did with this, is if you slap them, $200 fine. If you slap them with a the backhand, it's a $400 fine. Um, okay, so the key takeaway here, though, is not 
that we are not to seek revenge, not only that we're not to seek revenge or retribution, right? Because Jesus has already reminded us that we've got an eye for an eye sort of law in the books. But what does he say? He says, well, I want you as my people, those who've been redeemed, those who are meek, right? Those who are saddened by their sin, those who claim Jesus. Uh, I don't want you, not only do I not want you to seek that retribution, certainly not vengeance, because you never had room for vengeance. I want you to turn the other cheek to them. Let them get the other one too. I want you to actively participate in giving your honor away to those who want to take it from you. So when slighted by a slap in the face, we're to neither stand up for our dignity, nor are we to roll over and, and be milk toast. Instead, we're to actively participate by turning our other cheek to them so that if they want to keep going, they can. Do you see how different that is than either rolling over and playing dead or fighting back? You're actively embracing that affront to your honor. And why can you do that? How can you do that? Because if your honor comes from God, if it's foreign to you, it's not yours to begin with, then your personal dignity, your personal honor is available to give out to others. It's an act of commitment to trust God, that God our Father has our best interest in mind and that we can trust Him in everything in our path in life. It's not uncommon for a serious health issue to uh, make us question and hopefully verify our faith in God, our trust in God. But sometimes it's the dishonor, it's the way you've been treated that can also help you question and verify your faith in God, your trust in God. So sometimes it's even in that arena that our faith in God is hard won, hard fought. <clears throat> so in verse, I guess these are the next verse. Uh, yeah, in verse 40, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your coat also. So here's a question for you. How many articles of clothing do you own? Got any idea? Your drawer? Your closet, you got any in the washer or dryer right now that you're worried about? You got to take them out of the washer now because they're going to sour in this heat, even in the house. Uh, you got any in a gym bag at the office, in the trunk of your car? Lots and lots of clothes, right? Obviously, 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, people didn't have a closet full of Amazon deliveries and Dillard's and Stitch and all that stuff. So most people only had a very limited selection of clothes, right? And in Exodus 22, verse 25 through 27, we even read that if you lend money to any of my people who are needy among you, do not be like a money lender to him. Do not charge him interest. And if you take the garment of your neighbor and pledge, I mean, think about that. It's so valuable that you could take it as a pledge, right? If you do that, though, you must return it to him by the time the sun goes down. For this is his only covering. It is his garment for his body. How else can he, what else can he sleep in? 
I mean, these, these are limited supplies, very important. And Jesus says, if they sue you for one of your two or three articles of clothing, offer the other one. Say, are you sure that's enough? You know, I can sleep without any cover tonight. It's okay. You take it. You take it. You must need it for something. You know, you're suing me for this. Here, you go ahead and take it. God does say in Exodus, though, by the way, when he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. And Deuteronomy repeats the same rule. Um, Jesus, again, is addressing our normal response to fight against personal injustices or our perceived personal slights. So instead of personal revenge or even legal retribution against an evildoer, who wants to take something from us, we are asked to whittlingly give our stuff away. No personal claim to property rights or personal honor, but a new creation's willingness to suffer wrongs. We thereby proclaim by the simple act that our honor and our life is found in Christ and not in our personal standing, not in our personal honor, not even in our possessions. In verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Um, let's see. I have here Mark 15. Oh, okay. This, this is the... Uh, so Mark 15, this is Simon, who is uh, constricted to carry the cross for Jesus, right? Because the Roman soldiers had that right to to make you carry stuff for them. And Jesus must have had this in mind, right? That uh, it, it seemed to, to reflect on the Roman rule and occupation. Um, and then, so he's saying here, if you're forced to go one mile, go a second mile. Again, give, give not only what they ask, but give more. Giving up your rights, giving up your freedom, uh, in the face of the evil one who's come to press you into this service. Um, and, it, and it makes me think of two things. One is, in some cases, this is a reflection of how well we're doing in our walk with Christ. But it's also a push, because if you're not doing so well, if you flare up at the thought of that, if you celebrate when the guy gets pulled over or whatever, um, then maybe it's, it's a reflection, it's that mirror to tell us you need to do better, you need to submit to Christ. Um, and then finally, uh, in verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not reject the one who wants to borrow from you. Uh, Luke 6, 35 and 36 says, Love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And First Timothy uh, gives us a little warning about those who are rich in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for them treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Again, our possessions are not truly life, our life, our satisfaction. If it comes from Christ, then you can not only 
fight the desire for vengeance, fight your uh, your legal right for uh, retribution, but you can, in fact, suffer that wrong uh, when you need to. Um, and again, this command either reflects our new life of selflessness or pushes against our selfishness toward greater dependency upon God our Father and His provision. Um, so, does this mean in all cases and every time and every opportunity, anytime anybody asks you for anything, you just give it to them? And anytime anybody sues you, you never, you never fight back, you never, you never agree to, to arbitration or going to court? Is that what this means? I would suggest no. And I think everybody with a level head would say no. But you can't just think it. You've got to have scriptural you know, capability to, to say no. Um, and so there are some definite New Testament examples of resistance. And um, we see that in Acts, and we'll do Acts, 1 Corinthians and Galatians. There's some more. But in Acts 15, 36 through 40, you have Paul and Barnabas. You remember John, Mark, and, and all that thing. So Paul and Barnabas, uh, verse 36 through 40. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in the cities where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn for them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement a sharp disagreement that's new testament speak for they had an argument right um so that they separated from each other they went separate ways because of this sharp disagreement barnabas took mark and sailed away to cyprus and paul chose silas and departed acts 16 35 through 39 paul asserts his right as roman citizen remember he's been beaten They've been, uh, I guess Paul and Silas have been uh, threatened. They've been beaten publicly, been humiliated. Um, and in verse 35, when it was day, the magistrate, and, and remember he, they had led uh, one of the jailers to Christ. He and his family were baptized. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, uh, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And did they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Again, Paul asserts his rights as a Roman citizen. So he didn't just say, well, okay, beat me, send me away, I'll just go away like a good puppy dog. He didn't do that. Um, and then in 1 Corinthians, uh, this is a really good uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Um, when one of you has a grievance against, grievance against another, does he dare go to the law, uh, go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? He says, do you... If you two have a disagreement, you're going to sue Paula for whatever reason. Are you going to go to the courts? Why don't you, why don't you bring it in-house? Don't you, don't you have people smart enough in the church to make decisions like this? You should. 
That's the David Parma version. Um, it says, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that, that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Paul's saying we know we're going to have disagreements. We know we're going to have disputes. We know we're going to have these issues, and we can deal with them. So again, you, you can't, if, if everybody's going to be milk toast and everybody's going to roll over and let anybody take anything from you, do anything to you, then we're not going to have disagreements. We're not going to have reasons to go to court. We're not going to have reasons for the church to, to make decisions amongst troubled relationships. Um, so obviously we're going to have those. And then in Galatians 2, this will be the final uh, little section. Um, Paul's giving his personal, you, you know, you can read about this in the book of Acts, and then you read in Galatians 2, Paul talks about, um, in, in the first of that chapter, after 14 years I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential. And he, and he just shares with them the gospel he's been presenting to the Gentiles. Um, but, but then, remember the brothers, the, the Jewish brothers, wanted everybody to be circumcised. And again, if we take the words of Jesus literally to an extension, does that mean they, they've got to be circumcised? Well, Paul argued no, and in fact said Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a, a Greek. Um, anyway, and, and then um, a little bit further down in the chapter it's, it is when he confronts Peter for Peter's uh, hypocrisy, right? So again, there are reasons to stand up, reasons to fight for right, I mean, you know, Roe v. Wade, right? There are reasons to fight for things that are right, but there's a way to do it. And I think that's what Jesus' words in this, this vignette are about. Um, it's that the antithesis of vengeance, if you think of it on a sliding scale, over here you've got vengeance, you've got, you know, Hatfield and McCoys, you've got... Uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet, who, who are they, Montague and who? Capulets, right? You got, you got, on one end, you've got that. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got what Jesus is saying is all these, oh, and, and then you have the law, right? You got the real law, which says you can't, you can't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You've got the law, what you can do. Jesus is simply saying your heart your, the, the first thought in your mind should be love. It should be, do I really need to fight this? Do I, you know, what's going on in their heart? What's going on in their mind? Um, should be one of you want to, I mean, that's what submission is, right? I want to be able to give you what you want, what you ask for. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, somebody's begging Maybe I shouldn't give them what they're asking for, but that ought to be your first desire is to want to, right? Is to want to, to do that. Certainly, we have to 
not think of all these things as being my time, my stuff, right? It's not my honor. It's not my possessions. If I am a new creature in Christ, I'm a steward of possessions. I'm a steward of my time. I'm a steward of all these things. And they don't belong to me anyway, so I ought to want to be free with all these things, my time, my effort, my talents, my energy, and all that stuff. And so that's, I think, for final thought, that's it, is they don't belong to us anyway, my time, my talents. They were all given to us. They're all gifts to us anyway. Let's not be stingy. Let's not be proud, haughty, um, etc. John 10, 17 through 18 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this command I received from my Father. Now you might think, well, okay, great, but what's that have to do with us? Because Galatians 2.20, for example, says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we love those around us, like Matthew's going to push us into next week, not push us into loving, but, you know, push that, <laughs> talk about that next week, we ought to have a desire for their good, right? And, and if I have stuff and you need stuff, I ought to be free with it is, is the whole point of this, I think. Um, so it's for us to get in a mindset to be antithetical to vengeance. The exact opposite, extreme opposite of that should be our first thought. So uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life, new life. Um, thank you for making us into new creatures. Thank you for a body that we can come together and do life with and uh, learn together, pray together, uh, sing together. Lord, we just ask you to help us be your kind of people in this world. Uh, help us to love well, to be selfless, uh, to be giving, kind, compassionate to those around us. In your name, Jesus, amen.